All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Sound of the Loons presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. And today I get to be joined by the Renaissance man. I'm going to call you that because in our broadcast last weekend, Kevin Egan called you a utility man, which I feel like doesn't have quite the same ring to it. So I said, I'm going to call you a Renaissance man because you do a little bit of everything. Hassani Dotson, uh, thanks for joining me today. Uh, pleasure being here. Um, first of all, I just want to say it was a blast seeing you back on the pitch. And I know that it's a long road. It's a lot of work. And I know you played in the FC Dallas match. And I saw you at training all sorts of days last year, walking on the sideline, mostly, you know, Ja'Cory, you know, you guys chilling, hanging out, but not like in full blown. I didn't get to see any preseason. So when you stepped on the field, let's go back to the FC Dallas game. What what were the emotions sort of, or are you just like so into the game at, at that point to get back into the pitch after your ACL last season? Yeah, I mean... When Ian came running down, um, I was a little surprised to hear that I was a first name called. And um, I was just so tuned in to try to make sure that I execute all the details properly so I, that I get another chance in the following games. And um, I was – the funniest thing is that I told my teammates is after about – I felt like it was like 13 minutes in, I look up at the clock and said, I'm getting kind of tired, you know. And I look up, it's only been three minutes. I said, oh, okay, this is this is game fitness that I, I still need to work on. Um, but it was a it was a great feeling to be back out there and um, get that adrenaline pumping again and help us uh, secure the road win. Yeah, it's crazy because you guys train your butts off. Preseason is a grind, but there's only so much you can do to get into match fitness. Even if you've been playing preseason games, it's just still not the same when there's energy, there's emotion, you just said it, the adrenaline pumping, and especially you coming back from injury. I mean, some of that's got to get your heart rate going and, and you're breathing a little bit heavier than even just like the game fitness, like 90 minutes, you know, let's go kind of a thing. Yeah. And um, for preseason, um, when we went down to Palm Springs, I only got to play in 15 minutes of the last game. And those aren't normal training sessions because we're playing so many games in a short span of time. And then I was excited, you know, to gear up for Dallas and I caught a illness. So I was gone for the, for four days as well. So, I mean, it was a lot, but I was happy to, to get in there and, and start building up the fitness and also obviously the win. Yeah. And then you guys have this weird bye week, second week of the season. I get it. It's a schedule. You, you can't do much about it. Um, but at the same time, you have like a whole nother week to sort of rest, recover, you know, get your body back in the groove of what it feels like to play in a game, get back to match fitness, and then just train an extra week. Then you have the home opener of Allianz Field, and you got an incredible welcome from the fan base and the supporters and everybody else at Allianz Field when you stepped on the pitch. I know the pitch was a little you know, snowy and a lot can be made about the actual conditions or the quality of the soccer that you guys could play in that opening game. But at the end of the day, now you get to be back on, on your home field, you know, sort of walk us through the emotions of that and warming up. I'm assuming, you know, your wife and your daughter were maybe at, at the game um, being them, you know, having them there and having a, a part of it as well. Yeah. My wife was there. I thought it might be a little too cold to bring uh, the little one. I'm kind of overprotective in that way. <laughs> I'll probably wait till it gets a little warmer out. Um, but it was amazing. Like even 
as soon as I, because we didn't get to warm up because of the conditions of the pitch out on the field. But um, in the second half, when we were warming up on the sideline, uh, it kind of, you know, helped with confidence that the fans were were backing me. And then um, when I stepped onto the field, I mean, I was expecting to be slipping and sliding, but it kind of helped that all the guys that were on the field were cold and a little miserable. So the <laughs> game speed was a little slower. Um, so that definitely helped um, um, get my confidence and start uh, growing into the game. How is that? Like, I t- we talked to Dr. Bursho as well for this podcast, and he's going to be joining us in the second segment. We talked a lot about not just the physical side of an injury, but the mental and emotional side of going through the injury. There's probably these stages, right, of grieving and then flipping the switch and getting back into form. So when you have field conditions like that, is it in the back of your head at all about planting and turning and, and slipping and sliding? Or is it a, is it a foregone thing now you're just back into playing mode? Yeah, I mean, it definitely does play a little role. I think it helped that we trained um, the week before um, at Allianz. So we were able to prepare a little better for footwear um, because when the, the fans all came, everyone wore a normal like uh, plastic studs and everyone was slipping all over the place, you know. And that could, you know, raise the risk of getting injured, especially like in your knee. So um, for soft grounds and, you know, kind of practice a little bit of um, uh, like ice skater hops uh, to make sure I'm, I'm stable. And um, once for me, once the game starts going, like I'm only focused on one thing. So I think that's something that I've been blessed with. That I don't overthink a little bit too much in that regard. I want to go back a little bit. As we look ahead to 2023 and your expectations for yourself and the group, but going back to 2019, when you were drafted 31st overall, hence the number 31 on the Jersey. And you were like this massive revelation, the whole 2019 class that Minnesota United brought in was, but I remember you came on the pitch in the first game, I believe it was at Vancouver in the dying moments to secure a win on the road. And that to me was like light bulb. Adrian Heath and the staff think incredibly highly of this player and what he's capable of, not just physically on the field, but your intelligence, reading the game, doing the right things at the right moment at the right time. So 2019, how did you kind of come into your rookie season, your expectations? You had four goals on the season, hence the bangers only you know, whole t-shirt thing vibe that came about. And now 2023, what are your expectations for yourself a few years into the league, but set back one, one season kind of with the ACL? Yeah. So 2019, it was more just hoping that a team would give me a fair shot and taking the opportunity and competing each day. And um, sometimes it kind of helps that the game is a little fast for you. So you just stick with that first decision. And most likely than not, if you see the right picture, it's the right one. Um, Coming back after such a long injury in 2023, my first immediate goal is just to be able to be 90 minutes match fit. Um, and then after that, it's to, you know, carve out a role, be a starter in the, in the midfield. And I think a big one for myself and the club is to win silverware. Uh, we've been very close um, since I've joined the team, and that's something that we're all trying to strive for. Let's talk about that because you just said carve out a starting role in the midfield. And I think in your first two years and particularly as a rookie, you know, you just want to get on the field. You will play wherever is needed, wherever is asked. And now you've seen a guy like Robin doing it all over the place. I mean, Boxel said to me last week, I want to put him at center back next to me just to see how it would go, you know, 
but you want to carve out that center midfield role. Do you feel yourself more as a holding, as an attacking, you know, a six, an eight, a 10? If you had your ideal and Adrian said, hey, I want to put you where you want to be and how you can be most effective for this team, what would that look like in your mind? Yeah, I think I'm more of a box-to-box midfielder. I think I have a lot of bite, so that's common for someone wanting to put me as a six, which I've played. And then I feel like um, I have a little bit on the offense to where I can get forward and get on the edge of the box and uh, create a goal-scoring opportunity. Um, so, yeah, that would be that would be my answer. Well, you do. I mean, we don't make a T-shirt called Bangers Only for Nothing, <laughs> you know? And But I think there's, like, a huge market out there for those and correct me if I'm wrong those sort of late arriving runs outside the 18 where if you can strike a ball and be goal dangerous the 10 occupies a lot of attention the six kind of stays home and not a ton expected of them offensively going forward you know it's kind of like a center back you might just skyrocket it over the crossbar but if you can make a living as like a late arriving on top of the box midfielder that can be a threat. And if you even if you're not the goal scoring threat, you're taking attention. You know, the defense has to be mindful of you. That opens up opportunities for others. Is that kind of how you be yourself and you sort of pride yourself on the passing as well? Yeah. And I think that's a bit of a an underrated run in the box. Like a lot of times you see the great movements from the strikers pulling, peeling off from the back shoulder. But um, like my favorite team is Chelsea and. Um, Frank Lampard, he made a, a hell of a career out of scoring those type of goals and making those type of runs. And it always, like you said, it might pull the six off of the 10 onto the eight. And um, that's just something that um, I've been trying to work on and watching video to see how I can improve. And then it's all about repetition from there. I remember when you joined the team and talking to you about you had sort of been wanting film watching film you know sort of trying to emulate other center midfielders at the time in that role and I think we talked a little bit about Ozzy Alonso because he was with the club at the time and um, how he'd kind of made a living in that six role and but now when you play with or alongside players like a Will Trapp who's been in the in the league a long time or a player like Kervin Arriaga who's just come in and kind of just flies around, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. Will said that's that sort of his craziness, that nature is sort of one of his strengths, right? He's got these long strides and can kind of cover ground and kind of run around like a bat out of hell. So when you play with different players that have so totally different styles, or even when Robin's in there, how do you feed off of them? How do you have to change your game depending on who you're playing with and alongside? Yeah. And I think that's just trying to understand their tendencies. Um, Like you talked about how Will mentioned Kervin, like, for example, Will likes to check in deeper to get the ball in, so I got to make sure that we're not occupying the same space. And then Kervin, he's a bit unpredictable, so you know that he might run from 118 to the next, but then generally he likes to get behind the ball as well and and get the ball from the center back. So it's kind of like almost anticipating when they're going to make certain movements. And then um, I think that's something that Robin does as well, is that instead of – trying something he looks at other players and moves off of them which is how determines how fluid an attack is if everyone can play with one another and and be the next step ahead and that's not even talking about adding new center backs to the mix you know you've got Miguel Tapias in the mix now you've got a new right back that's been in the mix you know of course DJ did a wonderful job last season stepping into that starting role no problem but now you've got Zarek Valentin as well. So again, with the way Adrian likes to play and with the outside backs, it's just more attacking pieces for you guys to sort of understand each other. When 
we talk a little bit about this attack and where are the goals going to come from? You know, the elephant in the room is the fact that Emmanuel Reynoso is still not here, at least to my knowledge. I haven't been up at Blaine this week, but, you know, he's still not here. So how much is that even a topic of conversation amongst the group? Or is it just like, hey, we're going to focus on who's here. You've got plenty of quality in this team that can fill those voids. Fragapani likes to tuck in and create, you know, Amaria when he's out there drops a little deeper. You guys don't have a shortage of playmaking attackers and midfielders that can fill that void. Nobody's Reynoso per se, but there's no doubt in your minds and your team and your locker room that you guys can get the job done. No hesitation. Yeah. I think that's for the players. It's um, controlling what you, what you can control. And I think a lot of the past responsibility and burden was to give the ball to Reynoso to allow him to try to create. But like you said, we have a lot of players that they can create in their own type of way or a different way. And that's coming together to, find a new game plan and and making sure that now everyone has a little bit more responsibility on offense and maybe a little less on defense. And um, with Tapias and Zarek coming in, um, they're great guys. And I think that's why they've been able to acclimate so quickly at the group. So let's talk about family. You got a little one at home, Gia, who is now how old? Uh, 14 months at the end of this month. 14 months. Okay. So you're, that's a, that's a bonus stage. You're still talking a month and not years. So that's great. So what is your favorite thing that she does? Does she say dada? Does she, is she all into that? Does she kick she, a soccer ball? Is she walking? Sometimes, she but she says, she says more mama. Yeah. Um, recently um, she's been kicking the ball around the house. Um, so that's been pretty cool to see. Um, and then uh, she, we've been working on her little dunks. <laughs> uh, but it's like it's for me it's seeing the the growth just day to day week to week and you're like oh like just last week she wasn't comprehending that she didn't know how to do that and now now she's at a stage where she wants to touch everything that's not safe to touch <laughs> um but that's a it's for me it's a joy because I still have a I think a pretty youthful um spirit and energy about me so it uh takes me back to my childhood and uh I think all of us can say we have a great time here at home. Yeah, I think uh, people used to say to me, oh, that's the best age. Oh, that's the best. I was like, no, every age is the best age because every stage is so much fun. There's something different. Yeah, every stage presents its challenges too. That's just yeah. the nature of the beast. But I mean, what a blessing. And like, just to be able to witness those little things, not always the big things. Sometimes it's the little things that, you know, make the craziest craziest moment in the day make you smile make you laugh I mean thank goodness for FaceTime right yeah I mean yep. it's just you know I've been getting some videos and pictures every once in a while from Cal with his new little one and I kept telling him before he had kids I'm like dude you don't know until you know you know like your yep. world will change your perspective will change your priorities like things that are cute like you know for Adults are not cute, you know, are cute for babies, like the and vice versa. So mm -hmm. I just love that. And how about Petra? How is she? Does she love him? Everybody's ready for spring, but you know. Yeah, I mean, she she came out to visit a lot before we all moved together, but uh, I think now she's definitely ready for uh, spring. But uh, <laughs> I think hats off to her for adapting so quickly, and it's a little easier for me just because you know I'm willing to go anywhere to play soccer, but. Um, She's been such a great uh, support system for me and um, she's acclimated well. And, you know, we're trying to, I think, get up to Duluth. They talked awesome. about this summer. So, um, yeah, just trying to 
get a bit, little bit more Minnesotan, I guess you could say. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I know it's, it's you know, we all talk about how it's a challenge for players to adapt, you know, whether they're moving from another country or just from somewhere else in the United States. But then we don't always talk about the rest of the family that has yeah. to, you know, take the the journey too. And you have an, a built-in support system in the sense of Minnesota United and your teammates and you're going to training every day and, you know, you have a rhythm and a routine and everybody else has to find that, you know, in the midst of it. So I can totally appreciate it. We've seen lots of guys do it. You know, I remember when Jerome Chiasone was here and of course, Boxel and Robin have become good friends. So it's kind of fun to see Will with his little ones. At least there are a lot of guys on the team and I don't know who you're closest to, but, you know, wife, kids, family, it seems like a big priority and a, and a point of emphasis for the guys in the club. So hopefully she's finding some some support there and i look forward to seeing her and uh gia at, at another game sometime soon thank you yeah so far no complaints on this end and uh we're only getting more excited as the season goes on awesome well thank you hasani i appreciate you taking the time to join me i know uh we didn't dive too much into the acl because i'd like to move past it we we hammered home injuries with dr Burshow, and people are going to get that in the next segment so we don't want to dwell on the past we want to focus on the future and i'm excited to see you back out there and, and crushing it and um, all the best to you this season. Thank you very much, Kendra. And all right. go Loons. Yeah, go Loons. I mean, I I am wearing the sweatshirt. I don't get to see <laughs> yep. you guys every day, but you know, I try to still rock some of the gear that I have when I do this podcast. So that's important. I got yep. Minnesota in my blood. Yes, you do. All right. Stay tuned, everybody. Segment number two, Dr. Bursho from Alina Health Orthopedics coming up next. When injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers. With records, test results, and care team, you are always close to the care you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org ortho. Hello, everybody, and welcome back for segment number two of Sound of the Loons presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. And I just so happen to have the chief medical officer of Minnesota United joining me today. So it's it's perfect that uh, it comes right off the sponsorship tag. But Dr. Robbie Bershow, thanks for joining me on this uh, lovely, what, what day is it? Tuesday, March 14th. I got my it calendar right Tuesday. in front here. It is Tuesday. Thank you for having me, Kendra. Um, first of all, I just want to give a little insight to people. I was maybe lucky or unlucky enough to actually have to see you in person last year when I made the mistake of playing in a co-ed soccer game at my old age of 42 um, and, you know, ruptured the plantar fascia and fractured my heel jumping for a ball. So note to self, people, Dr. Brochero will uh, take care of you, but try not to do too many things when you're old. It was an it was an impressive injury. Although for people that can't see, because we're on a podcast, I think you still have both feet, right? Still yeah, two. Yes, yes, two feet. I'm running. Okay. I'm jumping now. So like that, just that tells you all you need to know about Ours being taken care of. Yeah, Ours exactly. Um, but hey, 
I want to talk about your role with Minnesota United because I think it's important that people sort of understand. Everybody knows that every professional sports team has team doctors, team trainers, staff. But when you are actually partnering with a professional team and you as the newly appointed chief medical officer, you've always been involved with the club, but Mm -hmm. sort of taking on this title, what does that mean? What does that entail? And how does this partnership even come about? Yeah, yeah. No, good question. I think there there is always that relationship um, that people know exists, but uh, but that can take a few different forms and 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 what our day to day role is uh, can differ differ quite a bit club to club. But so just long answer to that question by way of by way of background. I mean, for me personally, this has been a really special experience just growing up playing soccer and going to strikers games and thunder games with my dad and my brother. And, you know, this really feels like coming coming full circle for that. So um so I feel really lucky there and lucky also as as a physician. I mean, this is a pretty unique opportunity to be able to partner with the club and and work closely with the organization and and the guys and everyone that that makes this happen um you know my background initially was um was family medicine and then I did some additional subspecialty fellowship training in in sports medicine and that's been the bulk of my clinical practice over the past 12 years or so and as you mentioned you know we've been with Minnesota United for a while now our group Alina Health Orthopedics was with Minnesota United when they made the jump to MLS back in 2017 and it's been that same core group of docs the whole uh the whole time myself and our foot and ankle surgeon Joe Bellamy who travels tirelessly with the team and helps scout out the best donuts in the Western Conference which is an important job and um our uh um our sports surgeon Amy Claypack who's one of the best sports surgeons in the country and is an amazing work partner and friend and mentor and so We've had this team sort of all along that that's worked really closely with with the club. I think where this CMO role has really evolved to is just as the club has grown and and gotten bigger, as it's gotten more successful, adding on the second team, really working to develop the academy, we really recognized that we needed a more full-time integrated presence just to make sure that all of the pieces were were flowing together. And so um, so I took the baton from, from Amy, my partner, um, coming into this year so that I could help oversee not just the orthopedic side of the equation, but also all of the the medical stuff that comes up as well, concussion and COVID and cardiac, nutrition, mental health, all of that. Um, And just so that we could have someone that has that time that that can be dedicated to to taking care of the the team and, and all of the needs that come up. So that's sort of how I landed in the role. But even with taking on this title, we still have that really team-oriented approach. And every day there's there's a lot of talking, a lot of emails, a lot of texts, perhaps too many. But uh uh, but we've found that that works really well for just staying on staying on top of things. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say I I have seen Dr. Joe at um on every road trip when I was yeah. traveling with the team, and there's yeah. no Starbucks that he has left unturned. And That's I'm not true. trying to promote Starbucks because we love caribou here. We love all our local coffee shops. But when you're traveling, sometimes 
you know, they're easily accessible. And him and Angie Blaker have figured out every spot and every stop. Um, and so I really enjoy getting to know Dr. Joe for sure on the, all the road trips. And he the does Angie a phenomenal Joe job. Starbucks uh, walk is a, is a key element to any road trip for sure. Yeah, exactly. I know when I was on the West Coast trips, too, because, you know, of course, we're still rising at the same hour, regardless of being two mm-hmm. hours before. And then San Jose specifically where we stay and my daughter and husband came with on the last trip. And, uh, you know, we were at Starbucks at like what it was at 5 a.m. there as soon as they would <laughs> open the doors. And there's Angie and there's Dr. Joel sitting out front already. You know, sometimes it was Tyler Miller because he's on like the baby dad hours yep. at that point. Yep. So, you know, you maybe it. Brent Coleman, everybody's still we have the you know, those early risers on the team. Um, when you decided to take on this role, meaning a little bit more full time with mm-hmm. with the team. Was that difficult for you to give up some of the practice of the hours that you spend with other patients? Because I know clearly you're passionate about your patients and the care that you give your patients and clinic hours or whatever you guys might call it on the orthopedic mm-hmm. side of things. Yep. But yep. was that absolutely. tricky or, or difficult to, give, to yeah. give some of that up? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, I mean, I'm fortunate enough to have a lot of different parts of my job that I, that I really love. And that's not something that everybody gets to say. And so the, the challenge of that is sort of trying to figure out where to, where to scale back or where to find extra, extra hours and time and to this year, we had really all been trying to do this work sort of sandwiched in between patients, stepping out of a room to take a call. Um, you know, there's still plenty of, of night and weekend work that that happens all the time, but just sort of trying to balance that um, became trickier. So, um, so it, my work life, I sort of wear three hats. I have my clinical practice and then I'm medical director for sports medicine at Alina and then the the Minnesota United work. And and out of those three, it just became evident that I needed to to find some additional time somewhere. And so scaling back on on seeing the patients was the easiest thing to control with that. And but you're you're absolutely right. I mean there's a reason that I got into medicine to begin with and that's seeing patients and talking with patients and and I've had patients, um, same patients for a long time now, continuity, and you really get to treasure those relationships. And so a lot of those patients, of course, I'm still able to see and work in. And oftentimes I'll start off the day by driving into clinic to see a one-off patient, someone that I just know needs needs to be seen and needs some special care and and that. But but it is definitely a practice change. Um, on, on the flip side, I couldn't be more excited about this opportunity. And this is really a um a great recharge and and just really meaningful work here uh it's again a unique experience that not everyone gets to do and i just feel super fortunate that that i get to take part in it and that's um that's really enjoyable so i'm coming around to it everyone who knows me will will tell you that saying no is not my strongest suit and so sometimes i i feel like i'm still finding that balance and still saying yeah this is sort of the limited time that i have but um uh the good news is that between the players and the coaches and the staff and everyone affiliated with the organization, I still feel like I, I get to have my doctor hat on a lot of the time and still get to have those relationships just with some some new faces. And oh, by the way, you're also a husband and a father. You you have some small children at home, so you get Correct. to put your dad yeah. hat on. You know, you get to try to be 
at all their activities. Are they soccer players? Are they, they soccer at all? They are both soccer players. They, their interests are are wide ranging. So if there is an activity, they will rarely say no to it. But yes, they they do love uh, they they love to play. They have enjoyed um, their their loons experience when they've been at the stadium. They've heard some interesting chants, which I got to hear about after. <laughs> afterwards this guy behind us was saying some really interesting <laughs> things so that's always that's always fun to do that but uh but no they're awesome they also love getting a good uh doctor exam at home so I've definitely taped some eight-year-old ankles which mm. is like the fancy version of putting on a band-aid makes everything i love that makes everything better for sure i love that hey when you can combine work and family i think that's like the greatest thing ever cool. and, and you know when you have a a career that affords you that and they can see you doing what you love to do and see what how cool it is and then they hear you on phone calls they see you texting they know but then to actually see what it is like put into practice or a player coming back to health knowing that you worked on that player you were part of that player's recovery and I know we're going to talk a little bit about some of the injuries and you know Hassani Dotson also joining on the podcast at some point, but I, you know, he had an ACL, which isn't unheard of these days. I mean, mm -hmm. sad but true mm -hmm. that we hear more often about ACLs, um, men, women, girls, boys, whatever else. Mm -hmm. um, but any anything that has surprised you specifically? Let's talk about Hassani, about his recovery, his timeline. Patrick Wea was also another player that recovered from an ACL, but was there anything in particular that surprised you about Hassani, his ability to get back quickly? How, how much pride and joy do you take in seeing him back on the pitch and being effective when he yeah. first stepped on in the Dallas game? Yeah, absolutely. And, and without delving into to anything confidential, of course, maybe open to talking about uh, is open to talking about this stuff also. But yeah, I, I mean, the the big thing you take away from working with someone like Hassani is just what a consummate professional he is. I mean, just such a great guy as a person, as a human, but I mean, he takes his, he takes his career very seriously and his skills on the pitch and his dedication very seriously. And it's exactly the type of patient that, that you want to have. I mean, of course you never, ever, ever want these injuries to happen. And, and it is far and away the worst part of our job um, is seeing these things happen. A, a good day is a boring day for us, but um, getting to work with him and seeing the effort that, that he put in and the dedication and being with them throughout the ups and downs of that is is a really it it makes us feel privileged to be part of the care team that way and uh yeah seeing him step back onto the pitch is i would say eight parts just uh very nerve-wracking of course for those first few steps and making sure that everything goes well but uh the vast majority of it is just like you said that pride and seeing him get back and and knowing that in whatever way we helped him him do there and get the achieve those goals that that's really meaningful for us so uh, there are some you know, I was just going to say there are some challenges uh, with injuries and we can talk about the physical aspects, but, mm -hmm. and I just, I did a Atlanta United game early in the season talking to Brad Guzan about his ruptured Achilles mm -hmm. and he's older mm -hmm. in age, but it's the first major long-term injury he'd ever had. But right. he said, talked about the mental challenges. Yeah. So with the amount of athletes and high level athletes that you have dealt with, what, 
how much of it is, you know, almost playing a little bit of psychologist, working yeah. them through some of these injuries that maybe they've never had to deal with before. It's not just about the physical, it's about the mental and emotional side of it too. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, even when players are not injured, I think we have all recognized how big that mental health piece is. And especially even over the last few years, you know, you look at Simone Biles and Michael Phelps and Naomi Osaka and Kevin Love and all those people that have really sort of opened the door to this conversation around that. Um, where I think that it's always been an element, but we just haven't talked about it as much, but especially with the injury. I mean, so much of the identity of these players is wrapped up in who they are and who they are out on the pitch. And all of a sudden we take that away and it's a real struggle and a real adjustment. And, and so I think that, you know, even beyond the, the psychology of just helping instill that confidence about how well they're doing and helping, uh, helping teach them and show them the great work that they've been doing, just being there to help support them on that piece, that emotional piece, that mental piece, um, is, is just as important, if not more important, because we also want them when they're, you know, going down through that whole injury, especially for something longer term, like Hassani, I mean, that's a long, I mean, it's 10 months in it's, uh, it's a long recovery and a long time to go to some different places. Um, and so the, we've worked really hard just to be there, to be able to do those regular check-ins, make sure that they're doing well. We've got a good stable of sports psychology or team neuropsychologist um, for all of our guys, all of our players. That That is some really good resources. The league has some really good resources, but um, we, we definitely can never lose sight of that. And, and obviously too, I mean, I have my role, but much more the day-to-day is the incredible medical team and, and the athletic trainers, um, the physical therapists, performance coaches, all of the staff that interact with the guys on a day-to-day basis. And my job is quite easy because of the amazing work that those people do. And so I think all of those units helping create a family and create that support for a player when they get injured is just can't be over. Overstated. I want to talk a little bit about Debassi's injury without, again, not, you know, patient yep. uh, doctor privilege, but was that, I mean, you've probably seen some pretty bizarre injuries in your day and maybe mm-hmm. that's not bizarre at all, but I just remember when it happened and the way he went down and, you know, hearing him yell and, and he's just such a physically fit, physically yeah. gifted, athletic smart takes care of himself you know as a professional which sometimes it just doesn't matter when it comes to injuries but was that a bizarre injury to you at all or is yeah i mean it's definitely definitely not as common of one and like you said i mean if i if i get hurt and go down yelling nobody's that surprised (laughs) but uh um but for him like you said i mean just you know when something like that happens it's probably going to be the real deal and it's probably going to be serious and and yeah i mean the the unusual ones are always harder just because in part there's less data to go off of as far as what the expectations are on the back end you know we have a a big big history on on acl surgeries and acl ruptures and reconstructions 
things and the timeline, et cetera. And that just, I think, provides some peace of mind that a lot of people can go and talk to other players in the league or friends, family or loved ones or the docs and get that information. But when it's a little bit more unknown, then I think that adds an extra element of, of stress to that as far as what are we going to expect moving forward. I would say for him also, um, just like with Hassani, just so dedicated, so impressed to his um, to his rehab and recovery. And, you know, obviously surgery went beautifully as it did for Hassani, but so much of the, the hard work is just what gets put in afterwards and being able to maintain that month after month when they're not doing the fun part of actually being with the ball out on the pitch. Um, uh, so that that's been, again, a hard injury to manage just because we all love him and want the best for him, but, uh, has been really impressive to see the work he's put in for that yeah I think it's always crazy too when something is really like clear cut and um like you said there's a clear path and then maybe you have someone else who has reoccurring soft tissue injuries or something Mm -hmm. like that and you're trying Mm -hmm. to manage load and manage um you know almost even effort by based Mm -hmm. on the individual's builds Mm -hmm. um and you just you know you always want the best for them I remember when Roma Metanier was here not knowing Mm -hmm. all the details but just, you know, you wanted him. The guy comes with yep. a smile every single day. And yep. You just Absolutely. want him to be able to get back out there. And then the second he would take off for a sprint, I was always like holding oh, my no. breath, like, ah, you yeah. know, and that's the last thing you want. But um, yeah. yeah, it's really, it's just cool to see when the guys do get back on the pitch and they can be successful and the hard work that they put in is, and the hard work that you guys have put in. I, I would assume the last thing you want as, as a player, as an athlete is to be like that one where all the doctors are being called in and going, yes. gosh, we've never yes. seen this before. You, this is crazy. <laughs> you never want to see a doctor be super interested in what's going <laughs> on with you. That is, that's generally not a good sign. So, um, so uh, that, that, that I think is accurate. That I think is accurate. What do you make of the um, sort of strides that have also been taken in concussion protocols? I know you're orthopedic side of things, but as the chief medical officer and, Mm -hmm. you know, all the different um, studies and things that have been done now, whether it's in other sports or in soccer and sort of the extra substitution rules, the testing that needs to be done on the sideline when, and the the immediate stoppage of play, what do you make of all the concussion sort of implementations now? Yeah, great question. And that's part of my training doing sports medicine, family medicine, we it falls to us a lot of the times to do that, that concussion and concussion is so tricky. I mean, it's such a difficult diagnosis because we don't have a perfect test for it. It presents itself in a variety of different ways. And especially in the midst of a match, oftentimes a concussion can be hard to diagnose because the symptoms may not emerge for hours to minutes to hours afterwards. And so trying to assess it in the heat of the moment, especially when you can't pull them off easily to, to assess like you can in, in football or other sports, um, add some particularly unique challenges to, um, to how that works in soccer. I think MLS has been working really hard to try and find uh, a way forward with that. I think, we all recognize the the seriousness of of concussions and the seriousness of concussions that go undiagnosed and when our goal always is to try and not send the player back in if if there is a concern for one or there's a reasonable suspicion for one um 
just because we know that's when more significant consequences can happen. So I'm I'm proud of the league for working really hard to do that. And there's a lot of good things that we have where I sit um, during during matches is right at the fourth officials table. And we've got a monitor that helps us um, sort of capture and view all the different camera angles. And so we're constantly in communication with a spotter about looking for those things. And we do the on-field assessments and pull them off to do the, the exertional challenge off the touchline that's new um still trying to figure out the nuances of the concussion substitute uh i think that is a great step in the right direction i think difficult to employ in practice as far as how that always works and so i think that's the kind of thing that can only come with with time but um but it is a really important part of it i think too over time players are having more and more awareness and less desire just to play through it uh and i think that's a really big thing and we rely a lot on what the player tells us. And the more time that I get to spend with the guys at the facility, at training, et cetera, the more you get to know them. And then it becomes a little bit easier to sort of determine as things are things functioning the way that they should, or, or are they not looking the way that they should? So. Uh, what what's an exertional? What is that? You said it's oh, new. So we just, I mean, with the concussion now, one of the things that we typically do in addition to asking their symptom questions when we go out to assess them and do the neurologic screen is sometimes we know that people with concussion will be okay at rest. But if we start to get them moving around and employing their motion system and in their balance that can bring on some symptoms. So we now do something. If you see them running back and forth on the touchline before going back in, that's sort of what we're looking for to make sure that there's no symptoms. So just one of the many ways that, that we try and pick up symptoms. Cause again, there's no one perfect test. So we need to look at 10 to 15 smaller potential signs and try and elicit some symptoms with one of those in order to determine if they, if they might have a concussion or not. Two more questions for me. One is the communication. How important is the communication with the entire Minnesota United staff, as far as coaching staff, training staff, front office staff to sort of be on the same page, especially in a player's recovery um, because I know it can be frustrating. It can be frustrating for the player. It can be frustrating mm-hmm. for you, frustrating for the staff if they want someone back out there. So what what are those conversations like and how does that manifest itself as far as everyone being on the same page and ultimately what is best for the player, for the athlete? Yeah, it's probably the most important part of our job, honestly. I mean, the medicine is is the medicine, but how those conversations go and how that information gets relayed is really what makes a difference between people having successful outcomes and not. Um, and and again, the advantage of me being able to be up here and and just have that be a more full time presence really has has allowed that to bloom even more. Many times during the day, I'm talking back and forth with the athletic trainers and physical therapists, performance coaches, and the um, Adrian and Ian, all the other coaches, just so that everybody ideally has that same understanding of what's going on um, and where we're heading. And then obviously wrapping the player into that as well, because that's a big piece of it where I want them to feel like they've got agency and in control over, over what their situation is. Um, and I think that's where problems tend to arise is if people are not on the same page and the expectations are differing from what we're seeing. Um, so that that is, I think, the goal each and every day 
again, I think sometimes we, we, we might tire a little bit of getting all of the texts and all of the meetings and all of that, but we recognize that that is just crucial to how well we're operating as a team, which at the end of the day is, is where we're at. And, and we've been really blessed and the coaching staff here has been phenomenal from, from day one, Adrian, um, on down, just as far as knowing we're looking out for the best interest of the player and, and, but trusting us and in giving us their trust to take care of them the best way we see fit and sort of knowing when, when they're ready, then we'll, we'll help communicate that and work with them. And so we really don't get much pressure from them to do anything outside of where we always start from, which is let's, let's practice good medicine and everything good will flow from there. Speaking of that, do you notice that there is a different and maybe it's too early in in this sense of you being there every day different mm-hmm. than like just seeing players when they're injured or seeing mm-hmm. you on a game day? Do you think that there will be a different level of sort of um, trust and familiarity because they are seeing you more often? It's not just when they need to see you. There's just a familiarity there with the staff, with the players of seeing you up and around Blaine more often. Absolutely. No, I think that's one of our other goals. I mean, we we have a goal of sort of the short term day to day being present, being available, which is a huge part of it. Just players know that they can come in at any point and and find us at any point and whatever is on their mind. Um, talk about it there. Uh, so so I think that just good medicine also happens with good relationships. And I think that's a really, that's a really important part that we're building on. And then also just being present more helps us think big picture wise. I mean, it's a long season and especially now that, you know, we're adding in US Open Cup and Leagues Cup and all of that. I mean, it's just that many more opportunities for, for, uh, for minutes played and, and, and the things that happen with, with those results. And so thinking big picture about how we can maintain health and performance throughout the whole season, I think is, is really important to us, but, uh, but being there and, and having those relationships with the guys, I think everything stems from that. And I feel really fortunate to be able to have that opportunity this year and okay, then espresso machines. Oh, okay. I, I lied. One more two-part question. I just yeah. thought of. Yeah. So, how many times you watch a sporting event that you are not in charge of and a part of, and you're like, you see something and you're like, Oh yeah, that was, that was that, you know, like whether it was Craig <laughs> Poe breaking his leg in the LAFC game and then yeah. kind of wasn't going the right direction. Or, I mean, even something as serious as like Jamar Hamlin. I mean, mm-hmm. that was like, and you, you know, you can't even put words to that. How many times do you watch a sporting event and you see somebody do a non-contact thing or whatever thing. And you just kind of know, and you're like, yeah, that's, that's not good. And then second, what is the craziest injury that you've ever dealt with for any, anybody that's come and visited you or any athlete on any team? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the first part, it absolutely being in sports medicine, uh, changes your spectator relationship with any sporting event. I'm sure at some point I will get back to, uh, to, just being able to see it as, as an event and, and nothing more. And sometimes I benefit from watching something like archery or curling, where I, I don't, don't have as much, uh, vested interest in the, in the injuries or they, they happen less frequently, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, something absolutely, like you said, with, with Damar Hamlin, I mean, obviously a scary, scary situation and it is our, our worst nightmare. And we, we plan and drill and train to be able to handle those situations, of course. But when 
they happen in the heat of the moment, it's, it's scary. And, and uh, uh, so that, that is always when you're watching, you're always watching a little bit with your, with your hands over your eyes and, and a little bit clenched, uh, trying to make sure nothing bad's going to happen. So um, as far as the craziest injury, I don't know, there've been, there've been a lot. I think my all time favorite, at least soccer specific injury memory though maybe i shouldn't say favorite but most memorable <laughs> especially being you know, minnesota united was at our franchise opener at tcf in the snow goalkeeper injury trying to manage that in the snow and the chaos first game i think that will be a lasting memory trying to walk him back through the tunnel the slippery tunnel in cleats and it's just like oh man so we we often talk, we're thankful that that happened first game before we knew any better. So we didn't know what to worry about. So we feel like we hit our high water mark there and it's all been smooth sailing since. I like it. I like, I, I would love to be a fly on the wall uh, for some of the conversations that you doctors probably have, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's, there's gotta be some, you know, doctor medical gossip that goes on. So I, I, I would love to be a fly on the wall at some point. I did get mostly to- bad doctor jokes. It's like bad dad <laughs> jokes, but even, bad even worse. Oh, you have bad doctor jokes. Okay, oh good. yeah. Oh, we'll yeah. have to make yeah. a list of those and share those ne- the next time. That'll, yeah, that'll be a good sure. one. So for sure. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Cause I know, I know you're probably like glancing down your phone's probably blown up like a thousand times just in the time, you know, the 30 minutes that we've been on this podcast, but I appreciate you taking the time. I know you've got, you know, you're, you're doing it all right now. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. Happy to, uh, happy to chat. It is good to see you and good to, good to chat with you and miss getting to see you every day around here, but, uh, but really excited for, for the work that you're doing. And, and, uh, so thank you for taking the time to chat with me. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And you know what? Um, I'm sure we'll have you on again. Hopefully it's to just talk about how there are no injuries to talk about. Yeah. And we can just talk about something else. Most boring podcast ever. I'll be totally fine with that. Which is is exactly what you want. So I appreciate you taking this. All Dr. Jokes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Dr. Robbie Burshow. Thank you so much. Um, Alina Health Orthopedics, as always, appreciate what you guys do for the club and for everybody in the in the community, really. And then uh, a chief medical officer. So thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Kendra. All right, everybody, that wraps it up for this uh, episode of Sound of the Loons. Next up for Minnesota United, they hit the road, taking on the Colorado Rapids on the weekend. And we'll see you all soon. Thanks again.